Boy, we sure need people to stand strong these days. That's for sure. Don't you agree? Amen. Boy, these are weird days that we live in. And COVID has shaken a lot of churches. And I'm afraid to say it. I'm sad to say it. But it's true that some Christians are not going back to churches because of COVID. COVID is being used as an excuse. Oh, it's easier just to stay home and watch on TV. But even then, I believe their TV attendance is dwindling. Well, with your Bible open, please, to the book of Titus. We've got a very interesting message here for us. Paul begins in verse 1. He calls himself a servant and an apostle. And he says, according to the faith of God's elect. Say, what does that mean? It means that it takes faith to recognize his apostleship. If you recognize that that Paul was an apostle, that's because of the faith within you. And I believe that it's that way for every God-called man or woman, be they a missionary, a pastor, an evangelist. It's always according to the faith of God's elect. Do you have faith to believe I'm a pastor, that I'm a God-called pastor? Well, it's according to your faith and acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. And then in verse two, of course, what we're all after is eternal life. The hope, it doesn't mean, well, hope, I hope, I hope I go to heaven. It doesn't mean that. The hope is a well-grounded truth. We know we have eternal life and we will be going to heaven. You see, God, which cannot lie, promised before the world even began. That's amazing of our God. That's according to his foreknowledge. He knows everything, folks. And before the world began, he knew you and I. Every last molecule and atom and hair on our head. He, he knew us and still knows us. And so in verse 3, he says that this, uh, this uh, hope of eternal life now is manifested um, in preaching. He's manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment. Now, here's something interesting. It says, of God our Savior... And if you look down at verse four, at the end there, it says the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior. And if you put those two together, it tells you something important about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is God, our savior. So don't let anyone throw you on this. Oh, Jesus, he was a good man, but he wasn't God. Baloney. That's a lie of the devil. Jesus is God of very God. He's God, our savior. Now under Paul's ministry, several churches were started on the Greek Island called Crete, C-R-E-T-E. And that's located in the Mediterranean. However, these churches needed further uh, help and organizing as all churches do. And these jobs um, needed filling in the churches. They needed the right men for these jobs And I believe this is why Paul left Titus in Crete, told him to stay there. Look at verse five. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now it seems that those churches in Crete were in need of godly pastors. I believe every church must have godly pastors. Otherwise, the church will be led astray into error. And so Paul instructed Titus to stay there in Crete and go to those churches and to ordain godly pastors whom Paul refers to here in verse 5 as elders. 
Now, a careful study of the New Testament, and you will find that pastors are called elders and they're called bishops as well. So you essentially have three titles for the same person. Pastor, elder, bishop. They emphasize three different aspects of the job. As a pastor, he cares for the sheep. He feeds for the flock. As an elder, he has a spiritual maturity. As a bishop, he, he gives oversight to the local church and the programs and the people and, and this sort of thing. And so I believe that we have here uh, in verses six to nine, we have the qualifications. Paul writing to Titus says, want you to go and ordain these pastors. And here's the qualifications. Verse six, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Gainsayers are people who say things against. They contradict. Uh, what we're talking about is the truth. They contradict the truth. And so Titus was to look for and ordain godly pastors who could also um, put to silence, convince these, these contradictory people who speak against the truth. Now, one of the problems, and I think it was a major problem, but one of the problems that Titus was facing uh, to do this job, it wasn't an easy job to go and ordain pastors in these churches because apparently there weren't a lot of men qualified for the job. And I think this comes out here in verse, um, well, in verse seven, a bishop must then be blameless and not self-willed, not soon angry and and not a snow striker and so on. But look also at verse 12. Now we're talking about the people who live in the island of Crete. Look at verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. You know what a liar is. You know what an evil beast is. Now a beast is, has the nature of a beast and it, you know, it'll attack you. It'll turn on you and bite you or kill you, devour you. And that's the idea of an evil beast. And whoever this prophet was, was referring to the people in the Isle of Crete, calling them liars, calling them evil beasts. But what in the world are slow bellies? Does that mean they take their time eating at the dinner table? Could that be what it means? No. The idea of slow belly, slow means lazy, like a sloth and the belly gluttonous, gluttonous. Now that's the kind of people that apparently were living in the Isle of Crete. And Paul set Titus to go and find godly men, blameless, the husband of one wife, not given to wine, no striker, not, not greedy, filthy lucre to try and find men qualified to fill the position of pastor. Well, what was Titus to do if he couldn't find enough qualified men? What was he supposed to do? 
Well, we're not exactly told, but I do believe that he was supposed to wait until God provided those men and quite likely help in the training up of those men as well. And I believe that um, this is referred to or inferred, at least in the words in verse five, set in order that idea of training. And by the way, Bible college does just that. And God has blessed us with Pacific West Baptist College and our students are being trained up. Things are being set in order. Things are being done decently and properly. And they're being taught good doctrine. And so hooray for the Bible college. Now, a point I'd like to bring out, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message. But a point I'd like to bring up here is this. We must not give in to the temptation to lower our standards, our biblical standards. The Apostle Paul gave biblical standards for pastors in those churches. And Titus had to take that, uh, st- those standards and he had to find men who fit the standard. He couldn't say, well, I, I couldn't find men who meet that standard, but I found these guys. And these, these guys said they would be willing to be pastors. So I'll put them in eeny, meeny, miny, and mo. There, now those churches have pastors. <gasps> Heavens no. Because then the church runs amok. It goes astray. It'll go off into false doctrine and problems. And this sort of thing has happened. Over the last 2,000 years, many churches have gotten saddled or saddled themselves with the wrong men uh, in the pulpits. And of course, they've started adopting some weirdo doctrines. And they've started getting involved with things they shouldn't get involved with. Um, Listen. I don't believe in abortion. I don't believe in it at all. I think it's wrong for many reasons. I don't believe in it at all, but God has not called me to march up and down King George highway here, Boulevard. I'm sorry, with a big sign that says anti-abortion. God hasn't called me to do that. He has called me to pastor a church and to build the work. I, I don't see in scripture where that kind of behavior is going to score points and get the job done. I do see, however, where when we combine our hearts in prayer, we can move mountains. We can change governments. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. We can change our world through prayer a lot faster than we're going to change it through these protest riots and things like that. So I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here this morning to explore the subject, things that are wanting as it relates to our Christian lives. And so please close your eyes, bow your head and pray with me. And then let's look into this subject together. Loving father, there's, there's still work needs to be done in our lives before we're, We're just like Jesus. And so please help us all to have a a heart ready to receive your word. And father, I pray earnestly for those who are watching at home over the internet. And I know the temptation just to kind of talk about other things while the preaching is going on or play with the cell phone or go off to the kitchen and make a coffee or something while the preaching is going on. And heavenly father, I pray that if people are watching at home in their living room, They would imagine themselves sitting in church, watching and listening to the preaching. And they would conduct themselves accordingly. 
And Father, I thank you for such a wonderful church like Grace Baptist Church. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would teach us truth today that would really help make us more like Jesus because we need it. And so, Father, answer the prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do believe that it's very normal and very natural for new entities to require a little perfecting. Um, I'll give you some examples. When God first created the earth, he spent the next six days perfecting it, didn't he? He kept adding things each day. And then he'd sit back and say, that's good. And the next day he would do some more creating and perfecting and adding to it. And he'd say, that's good. And he did this for six days, didn't he? When a couple have the joy of a new baby being born into their home, they bring the baby with them home from the hospital, perhaps. Well, those parents will spend the next 20 years setting in order things that are wanting. It's wonderful to have a baby in the house, but the work is just beginning. Isn't that the truth? There are things that are wanting and need to be set in order. You see, like it says here in verse five, for this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. Hmm. When we started Grace Baptist Church back in 1999, it was a wonderful time. And we were in the Bear Creek Park Pavilion for two years. And our church was growing. It was exciting. It still is exciting. Still is growing, I hope. But we spent years setting in order things that were wanting. Sunday morning services. Sunday evening services, Wednesday evening services, 10 o'clock Sunday school. All these things had to be organized and, and set in order. We had to set in order Sunday school teachers. We had to get started in a missions program. We had to get started a soul winning program. We had to set in order a church treasurer came the day we had to set in order church deacons. And this is just to name a few things. Now our church isn't completely perfected yet. We're still setting a few things in order, but I, I think you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. And it's very same principle, very same principle. When someone becomes a Christian, there are some things that need to be set in order. If someone were to get saved today, we'd all say hallelujah and we praise the Lord. But we all know that that brand new Christian needs a few things to be set in order. For example, there are certain doctrinal truths that the new Christian will need to learn. There are certain Christian practices that the new Christian will need to adopt. There are certain worldly habits that the new Christian will need to get rid of. And so what we're saying here is that there are certain things that need to be set in order. Now, folks, what we're talking about today has nothing to do with legalism. We're not talking at all about bringing people into, into bondage in any way, shape or form. Heavens. No, 
We're talking about teaching them the truth out of God's word. And Jesus promised the truth shall make you free. Now the job of a pastor, and I think I can speak with a little bit of experience here, having spent 40 years as a pastor, but the job of the pastor is to care for the sheep and to build the work of the Lord. Both. He has those two responsibilities. Paul wrote uh, to Timothy and said, do the work of an evangelist. That's building the work in first Corinthians. He talked about uh, building upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles and prophets. And that's the job of a pastor. So as a pastor, my job is to care for the flock, to feed the flock, tend to the needs of the flock. And at the same time to build the work of the Lord. It's a two prong approach as pastors. We are to educate Jesus sheep so that they will know what God expects of them as pastors. We are to equip the sheep so that they will be able to do the work of the ministry that God wants them to do. As pastors, we are supposed to expound and explain to the sheep how they can protect themselves from Satan by using the armor of God, particularly that found in Ephesians chapter six. Now, all this doesn't happen overnight, does it? It takes a period of time, normally many, many years in the lives of some Christians. It can take all their life. Some of us are slow learners. And it can take all our lives. And then we start saying, as we're getting old, we start saying, boy, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Boy, I don't know why it took me so long to learn these, these lessons here. I don't know why. So it's a perfecting process to show you this. I'd like you to turn back a few pages in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. And I'd like you to look at verse 11. So we have here the apostle writing Ephesians four eleven, And he gave, this is to the church now. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are gifts that Lord Jesus gave to his church. Here's why verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints. What do we want the saints perfected for? He goes on and says, for the work of the ministry. What do we want that for? He goes on. He says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What'll happen when, when, when this happens, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that is still happening today. There's a lot of false doctrine being propagated over the internet and over Christian radio. There's a lot of phony baloney doctrine that's being hooted and tooted as if it's biblical, but it has little to no biblical base whatsoever. And we need to be careful folks. We need to be good students of the word that we can study and know what God is saying. Because I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of men and women in profile positions. They may have large congregations, but not everything they're saying is true. 
And this is very typical of the devil's style. He mixes truth and error because the devil knows that if he puts poison in front of us, we'll reject it. But if he mixes some of that poison with delicious food, chances are we're going to eat it. And by consuming the good food, we're at the same time consuming the poison. So we need to be very careful. Please be careful about the Christian radio because not everything that comes over those waves is coming from heaven. So it's important that we understand that perfecting of the saints is a process and it takes time to do. Now, what are some of the things that are wanting in the Christian life? We do not have time to go into every detail this morning, but I do want to give you five common ones. There are often other areas in which people need to be perfected, but these are very common areas and I want to give them to you today. So if you're a note taker, note number one, point number one is baptism. (coughs) Baptism. Now we're not talking about sprinkling. We're not talking about pouring of water on someone's head. And we're not talking about anything to do with babies. If someone says, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, tell us about it. Well, my parents brought me to the priest. The priest held me and put a little drop of water on my forehead. Maybe made the sign of a cross on my forehead. See, I was baptized. Do I need to get baptized again? No, you don't. Oh, because you were never baptized in the first place. That is not baptism. You say, well, then what is baptism? All you have to do is look in the Bible. See how Jesus was baptized. That is baptism. We're talking believers baptism, not baby baptism. A baby cannot believe. But someone old enough to understand that their sin has separated them from God. They're on a crash course with hell. They need to repent of their sin and trust in the savior to be saved. And when they repent of their sin and open their heart's door to Jesus. And in all honesty, say, Lord Jesus I'm the sinner you died for. I need you to forgive me my sins and come into my heart right now and be my savior. And if you don't, there's no hope for me. I can't get to heaven. I'm going to be in hell. Lord Jesus, would you save me, please? I'm begging you. And when they pray something like that, the Lord Jesus doesn't play games, folks. When he sees our seriousness, he's there at the heart's door waiting to come in and he will come in. And that's how people get saved. Believers baptism is a picture of that. It's a picture of the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's a picture of our unity, our closeness, our affinity with Christ. So that here's Christ and here's me. And I want to be so close to my savior that when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose, I rose. That's the affection, the unity, the desire I have to be with Jesus. And when someone has something like that and they pray something like what I've suggested, it doesn't take long for an anxious sinner and a loving savior to get together. It doesn't take long. And baptism, the way Jesus was baptized by full immersion Picturing the death, burial, and the resurrection. That is believer's baptism. Look back, please, 
to the Gospel of Matthew. Would you go back there, please? Matthew chapter 28. Someone might wonder, well, how important is it that I be baptized? Well, that's a good question. We'll see if we can give a good answer. Matthew chapter 28. Please look at verse 19. This is what we call the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. The Lord Jesus gave it to every Christian, every believer, man, woman, young person. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, this is for you. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then, of course, verse 20, teaching them. Now, the disciples, how did they understand what Jesus was saying? Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2 and find out. In the book of Acts chapter 2, at this point, Jesus had died, was buried, rose again. He'd gone up to the heavenly Father, and the church was having its big beginning here. We call it the birthday of the church. And so Peter is in Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost. It's a big Jewish festival. And there are hundreds of thousands of Jews there. The Holy Spirit gathers them together with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. So they all come together. What's going on? What's going on? Then they hear the, the 12 apostles speaking in every known language that was represented there that day. And they heard them in their own languages at the same time, speaking the wonderful things of God. Now, just a little inside tip here. It's not like one apostle spoke, you know, in Greek, another apostle spoke the, the language of the, the Parthians and another apostle spoke the, the language of the Cretans and another, it wasn't that way at all. They were all at the same time praising God and telling the wonderful things God was doing. And all of the people listening were hearing in their language. It's a real miracle of multi-languages. And they said, what is this? What is this? And of course, some mocked. But then Peter stood up and he preached a great sermon. If you haven't read it, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need to read that message. It's wonderful. And then the people standing there, many of them come under conviction and say, oh no, we've crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus, the Messiah has come and we put him to death. What are we going to do? And so verse 37 says they were pricked in their heart. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got baptized by immersion. The Jordan River wasn't far away. An easy walk down to the Jordan River. And they got baptized. If you are a born-again Christian, I ask you, have you been baptized by full immersion in a proper church? A Bible-believing church involved with soul-winning and missions, a missions-minded church. Have you been baptized? Now, you want to be happy and proud of your baptism. 
The same as being happy and proud of your wedding ceremony. Those of you who are married, you went through a wedding ceremony. There are some people who get married, but their wedding ceremony is something less than desired. Maybe it was under strained circumstance, but less than ideal settings in which they got married. And so what some have done is afterwards, they've arranged to have a more proper wedding ceremony, one that they can be happy with. And if, if you've been baptized by full immersion in a troubled church or a church that is involved with crazy things or a church that does not fully believe the Bible or a church that is, is not committed to soul winning and to missions, then you might want to consider getting rebaptized. It's only a suggestion. Get baptized in a church that believes in the great commission and practices it, that believes the Bible fully and acts upon it. But in any event, not being baptized, if you're saved and you've never been properly baptized, it is one of those things that is wanting in your life and needs to be set in order. And you ought to do something about it. After the church service today, if you will come and see me, I will give you a little booklet on baptism that will help. All right. Number two, because we have to move on quickly is membership. Membership simply means joining with the hands and hearts of fellow Christians at a local Bible believing church. Why? Why would they do it? Here's why. For the purpose of preserving and protecting the doctrine and practices of the church. And number two, for furthering the purposes of that local church by participating in its ministries. You know, I I think about this and I liken it unto when a young man meets the girl of his dreams. Maybe he's, he's thought, Oh boy, no one's going to want me. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I I, no girl's going to be interested in me. And then, then he sees her and meets her and it's the girl of her, of his dreams. And, and she actually likes him. And so he meets the girl of his dreams. And what does he want to do? He wants to marry her. He doesn't want to just say, well, nice knowing you or, Hey, let's stay in touch. Let's text together for the rest of our lives. Shall we? He's not interested in that. He wants something better. He wants to marry that girl and make her his wife. And he wants to set up a home with that girl. And he wants to have children with that girl. And he wants to grow old together with that girl. And so what do they do? They go through a procedure called marriage. And they become joined together. They become members together. Do you see? And so this is sort of what happens here. Churches in the New Testament had membership and the concept of membership became more defined as the years went on. Their method of membership maybe was a little different than our method of membership today, but the bottom line is the same. They had membership. Now I'd like you to look, please. We're in the book of Acts chapter two, and I'd like to look once more, look at verse 41. I want to show you something. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now we have the words added unto them. This is the idea of membership. 
They were added unto them. It doesn't say it was, they were added unto the Lord. Does it? They weren't added unto the Lord here. They were added unto the Lord when they got saved before their baptism. Baptism doesn't save. Repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ is what saves. Baptism comes after. They got baptized and there were added unto them. Who's the them? The church. That very first church. They had 120 on the day of Pentecost. And now 3,000 more were added. 3,000 verse 41. They're added unto them about 3,000 souls. You say, well, how do they become members? Well, that's why I said earlier, their method of membership may be a little different than our method today. And it seems that they used the rite of passage of baptism. Not only did they follow the Lord properly in baptism, but they used that, it seems, as their entry into membership. Today, some churches still do the same thing. Then when you get saved, when you're baptized, you at the same time become a member of the church. There are churches who do that today. Membership is joining the church. Membership is also called joining where two become one. This is the idea of joining where two become one. I'll give you some examples concerning marriage. The Lord Jesus said in Mark 10 verse nine, what therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. Paul said in Ephesians 5:31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There's that idea of joining. Um, we've got another example concerning the walls of Jerusalem in the old Testament in Nehemiah chapter four, verse six, Nehemiah was sent in, you know, to build the walls, rebuild the walls. So we, so built we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. It means half from the ground up. They didn't get the full height yet, but they were halfway there. The whole thing was joined together. And so all of the bricks became one wall, one wall. We find also at one point in the book of Ezekiel, God told the prophet Ezekiel to take two sticks and join them together. This is in Ezekiel 37, 16 and 17. Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions and join them one to another into one stick and they shall become one in thine hand. And so here we have the concept of joining where two or more become one. They become glued together. Now let's see how this joining relates to the local church. Now you're in Acts. Let's go to chapter nine. In Acts chapter nine, we have the conversion of the apostle Paul. That's when he got saved and he got saved um, on the road to Damascus. Uh, in Damascus is where he got his sight back. He got baptized and he was there for a while teaching and preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. They set about to kill him the un, unsaved there in Damascus. And they, uh, he escaped in a basket over the wall. That's how he got out of Damascus. Now in verse 26, he makes his way to Jerusalem. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join 
himself to the disciples. And so here he's trying to join the church, but they were all afraid of him because they believed not that he was a disciple. They hadn't heard yet that here this, this Paul now had become, at least Saul had become Paul. Now concerning the local church, we also have this joining together to form one body. And this is an important New Testament concept. For this, go back to Ephesians, turn to the right and go past uh, uh, Romans and Corinthians. You get to Ephesians and go to chapter four. Go there with me to chapter four. I'd like to get your help and read verse 16 out loud with me. Verse 16. Ephesians 4, 16. Read it out loud with me, please. And you people at home, please read it out loud as well. Verse 16. All together, here we go. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. It's speaking of the local church. The local church is like a body over which Christ is the head. And I'm proud to say that Jesus is the head of this local body here. Now we see this same concept. If you turn back to first Corinthians chapter number 12, first Corinthians. Now this is extremely important. And I want you to see this in verse 27, first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse uh, 27. 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. And once again, read it out loud with me now, please. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And I want you to notice that Paul did not say we are the body of Christ because that would, that would suggest that there's a universal body all over the world. One universal body. He didn't say that. He said ye referring to a local church in a city called Corinth. And even though that church had problems in it, it was still a local body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye are the body of Christ. Paul did not include himself in that because he was not a member of that church. Folks, here's the bottom line. Without membership, there is no way that a church can preserve the purity of its doctrine and practices. Why is that? Because essentially, if there's no membership, anyone can come in and change anything they want. You go onto a website and you try to change things and you find you can't do it because it's locked. Only those with authority that have the key can get in and change things. And if you happen to have authority, you're part of that company. Somehow you have the key, you can get in, you can make changes. But if you're not part of that company, you don't have the authority. You don't have the key. This was one of the problems with Wikipedia is that anyone in the early days of Wikipedia, anyone could post anything and they did. And they put out a lot of, of false truth. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, they put out a lot of bad stuff. And Wikipedia had to go and correct the bad stuff. And so 
without membership, it is absolutely impossible for a church to preserve the purity of its doctrine. We believe in the Bible and the Bible only, but with no membership, someone comes in and changes that. We believe in the Bible plus the writings of the early church fathers. Someone else doesn't like that and comes in and says, no, no, we believe in the Bible plus modern day experience. Hey, whatever happened to we believe in the Bible and the Bible only? Oh, that got thrown out generations ago. Why? How? No membership. Anyone could come in and do anything they want. You have to have membership. I'll give you an example. A country, a country with no citizenship, a country with no citizenship process, it's impossible. It is impossible to maintain any sort of civilized government because you cannot have elections, for example. That's why I'm talking civilized government, not some kind of iron-fisted, you know, Attila the Hun takes over. I'm talking about a civilized government. It's impossible to have civilized government in a country in which there's no citizen process because there, you cannot have elections because there are no citizens and that country will soon be overrun by anarchy and destruction. The truth is all countries have members. They're called citizens. Membership is the process of becoming a citizen of that country. Armies have members. They're called soldiers and armies have processes by which um, uh, a, a civilian can become a soldier. Businesses all have members. They're called employees and the businesses all have a process by which an applicant can become an employee. And likewise, churches have membership. A church without membership is not a church. It has no unified doctrine. It has no authority or blessing from God to administer the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's supper. It has no authority to send out missionaries. It has no prayer power. It has no ability to exercise discipline on unruly members. Why? Because there are no members. If there's no membership, all they have, all that this can ever be is a forever changing group of Christians that simply meet together. It is not a church. The early churches all had some form of membership and a membership process. And down through the years, the churches have changed that membership process to modify their particular requirements, but they require membership. But in any event, membership into a Bible believing local church is an important step in the life of any Christian. And if you're saved and if you're properly baptized, but you're not a member, you ought to do something about it and join the church. And if you come and see me after the church, I'll help steer you in the right direction. Quickly, we have to move on. Number three is daily devotions. This is an area that in so many Christian lives and listen, so many Christian homes is still very wanting and needs to be set in order. There are so many Christian homes with the children growing up. They have no family altar. They have no regular time. They gather around and, and uh, teach a Bible story, sing a hymn, have some prayer together, pray for one another. They don't have that. And when you don't have that, you become like strangers living under one roof. Daily devotions, careful Bible study and earnest prayer is something that's often wanting in many a Christian. First Peter two, two says as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow by. There's the Bible. 
Luke 18.1, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.6.17, pray without ceasing. There's the prayer part. Careful Bible study, earnest prayer. You know what? There should hardly be a day go by where you don't have those two things going for you. Oh, but Monday morning, pastor, you don't understand. I get up. I have very little time. I got to just get dressed in a hurry, grab a coffee, get out the door. Otherwise I'll miss the bus. Oh, why don't you get up 15 minutes sooner? Well, that's too hard. For who? Well, you ought to be hardly ever missing a day of Bible and prayer. The greatest blessings of God are to be found in your prayer closet in a daily routine. And if you're not doing it, if you're not doing it, this is one of those things that need to be set in order because it's wanting in your life. Daily Bible and prayer. You ought to do something about it. At the end of this service, you ought to tell God about it and you ought to ask his help and go get yourself a daily Bible reading guide out of our literature rack after church service. Number four, quickly, is the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Now, I think we're in 1 Corinthians, are we? Let's turn to the right to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This number four is called the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches, plural, of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. He's talking about Christian giving. Verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. This is the grace of giving. Did you know that the devil uses the riches of this world to blind people, including some Christian people? You know, with God... He encourages us. And with God, however, when we give to God our tithes and our faith promise to help missionaries, what does God do? God rewards us and he gives back to us. And you can write down Luke 6:38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again. It's the law of the harvest. You sow, you will reap. So many Christians have been lied to by Satan. Satan tells them, you can't afford to give a tithe. You're not a millionaire. Oh, listen, let others do it. These are lies of the devil and you're cutting yourself off at the knees. You take God at his word by faith and you give, God will give back to you. And he doesn't always give riches. What he does is he gives other blessings. All of a sudden, things that should have broke down long ago are still going. They don't require money. People maybe will come and give you groceries or take you out to dinner. All this has a form of cash value. These are good things. 
By faith, you gave your tithe. You gave your faith promise for mission. Now God is blessing it back to you. And God is no man's debtor. And he's no liar either. And I've been proving God true in this area of tithing for almost 46 years. He has never once failed me. Not once. So if you don't mind, I'm living proof of the tithing. Now, for some Christians, they find that giving is very difficult to do. It's a very arduous, difficult thing for them to reach in and give something to God. But they're doing it by faith. You say, well, God still reward them, even if they're having a struggle. Yes, God will reward them if they give by faith. God, I, I don't think I can do this, and I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to do this by faith. Here's my tithe. Here's my faith promise. Will God still reward them? Yes, God will. He will fulfill his promise. But did you know that there are some Christians that have the easiest time of giving? For them, oh, it's time to give. And they joyfully take their tithes and faith promise and give it to God. They don't have any problem at all. What's the difference between the first class of Christian and the second class of Christian? The difference is the grace of giving. God bestows grace. We have not because we ask not. God purposely does give the gift of giving to some, but all the Christians at Corinth were told to excel in this grace also. The same grace that we see in verses one and two bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that they joyfully gave. Wouldn't it feel wonderful if you had that grace? You could just joyfully do it. Don't you envy some people that just joyfully do their work? They, they, they just joyfully get up in the morning. They just joyfully go about their day. And for you, maybe you got to drag yourself along like a zombie out of bed or something. Don't you wish you had what they had? Well, in this area, you can have it. I'll tell you what, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, God loveth a cheerful giver. The cheerful giver is the one who has the grace of giving upon them. Say, how do I get it? You ask God for it. If you're here today or if you're watching on the internet and you feel you do not have this joy in giving, what you need to do, and you need to do about something about it because it's an area wanting in your life and you need to put it right. You need to do something. You need to ask God to give you the grace of giving. You need to pray today. When we go to prayer in just a few minutes, you need to pray today and say, God, I feel like a grudge when I give. Lord, I feel like a miser, a stingy old goat. Lord, please, I don't want to be like that. I want to, I want to take joy. I want to join hands with you, Lord, and I want to do something great for your kingdom. Give me the grace of giving. Start today, and you may have to pray every day, but God will answer that prayer. He will do it. He will give you the grace of giving if you will ask him. Now, number five, and we're done. Number five, an area that's wanting, and that's being a Christian witness being a Christian witness. We won't turn to the passage, but it's, you already know it. I'm sure it's in Mark 16, 15, where the Lord Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the great commission given to all of us. Every Christian has it. You may be here today, or you may be watching on the internet and you may be a Christian. You may be thinking, 
No, that wasn't given to me. That was given to someone else. It wasn't given to me. Well, that's up to you. If you want to believe that lie, that's up to you. But I'm telling you, when you stand before Jesus, you're going to have to give account as to how you took part in evangelism. I'm not saying that you quit your job and you go off to be an evangelist. I'm saying every believer has the responsibility and the job to let their light shine. You've got to let your light shine. You've got to start telling others about Jesus. You've got to let them see Jesus in you. You need to start to hand out a gospel tract or two. You need to start inviting someone to church. You need to be praying for lost people every day. You need to get involved with the training here at the church. We call it Soul Winners Academy. And you need to get involved with that. And you need to stay involved. Because one day we're going home, folks. And the first thing that the Lord is going to be looking for is fruit. Will there be any stars in my crown? You know, a pastor once asked a discouraged Christian man in his church if he would go to a, a nearby care home and if he would read some scripture to the people and sing some hymns with those elderly residents. And he thought, oh, okay, I'll do it. And so he went. And when his time was finished, he came back to the church and he was beaming. He wasn't discouraged. He was aglow. The pastor said, what happened? And the man said, pastor, I went there to be a blessing to those people. And the truth is I got blessed. I feel great. And so it is the same thing with Christians who will let their light shine. And we're not asking you all to quit your jobs and come to Bible college and train to be evangelists, pastors and missionaries. But we're asking everyone to get involved with evangelism. And this is an important area. And if somehow you're not involved with evangelism in some way, this is certainly an area of your life that is wanting and needs to be set in order. And you ought to do something about it. And I suggest that you bow your head in a moment and tell God, Lord, forgive me for being a secret agent for Jesus. Forgive me for taking my candle and hiding it under a bushel. Forgive me for not getting involved and for thinking it's someone else's responsibility when it's really mine. Lord, help me with this. Lord, you know, I'm a lousy witness. I'm scared. I have clumsy feet. I, I don't know what to say, what to do. Just tell him where you're at and ask his help. But then I want to invite you to come this Saturday at 10 o'clock and help us. We'll give you a bunch of gospel tracks. You'll get maybe 50 of them and help us to put them in mailboxes. That's a great beginning for any soul winner. Just help us spread the word. That's all you got to do. Well, we need to close things up here, folks. Things that are wanting. I'm wondering if maybe somehow it could be that you're here with us today at church or you're watching online and you've never actually been born again. You've prayed, you've read a little Bible, you've come to church, but you've never actually experienced the new birth that Jesus promises to all who will repent of their sin and open their heart's door and invite them to come in. Now, some people make that prayer in kind of a phony way. They got like, 
You know, have you ever heard the expression? They, they cross their fingers behind their back. Have you ever heard that expression where they're not really telling the truth and they think somehow this saves them from telling a lie and they say, Oh yeah, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Come in my heart, be my savior. But they don't really mean it. They want to continue on with their sin. So Jesus is not going to enter that heart. He will not enter at all. But when a man, woman, or young person gets serious with God and says, I give up. Lord, I've made a mess of my life. Jesus, would you please come in and fix it? Would you forgive me my sin and be my savior from this point forward? And Lord, I promise you, I'll live my life for you. You take me to heaven when I die, but I'll live for you now. And when you pray something like that, the Lord Jesus says, that's what I've been waiting for. I love you and I'll forgive your sin and I'll come in your heart and I'll be your savior and I'll be your Lord. I'll be your comforter. I'll be your guide. I'll be your best friend. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll go with you through thick and through thin. I'll make sure that nothing is too hard that comes into your life. I'll open your eyes to the riches and treasure that God has for you in the Bible. I'll show you how to get your prayers answered. I'll show you the things that really matter in life. And then one day I'm going to come for you and I'm going to take you to heaven with me. And we're going to spend eternity together. Wouldn't you like a savior like that? And that's exactly what he promises us in this book. Why don't we bow our heads for prayer?